Hello, wonderful people, and welcome. Ooh, I am looking just fresh to death on that green screen. Ooh, baby. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and say hi to that real quick, shall we? <laughs> I'm a ghost boy. Just gotta bump my similarity a little bit. That should do okay. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope everyone has had a good week. I hope y'all are doing well. I hope, uh, for those of you with exciting things in your life, I hope they have maintained that excitement. And for those of you who are just chilling, I hope that's going well too. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, I am using Discord for all of my chat stuff tonight, or at least most of it. So go ahead and jump in there if you're interested. Um, you can uh, come say hi there, and we will see. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see what kind of discussion we can have. I can tell you that as of um, let's see, as of Tuesday, we had an excellent discussion over the uh, the Great Gatsby chapters that we read. That was a great time. And YouTube, I hope y'all are doing great. Uh, Linda says, uh, I re-listen to Harry Potter every fall, and I gotta say, I think the voices and cadences are better than the official audiobooks. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And my in-between discussions are so freaking wholesome. Love it. Uh, always, uh, anyways, finally caught up and able to pop in and so sh show some love directly to you. Thank you so much for doing so. It's great to see you. Uh, Vindrake, Macy Noel, hello. There's some new there's some, some new names. Laura Prosser, there's another new one. <laughs> Ash says, uh, husband is a whiny baby when he's sick, but he's alive. Excellent. <laughs> oh. Joa, Joa, let's see, Joa Quinoa? Joa Quinoa, is that right? Anyways, actually Ashley. <laughs> okay, it's all good. All right, everyone, I hope you're doing well. But uh, YouTube, let me know. Uh, as long as the audio keeps coming through, then um, it's you know very possible that things are going to freeze up on the video end. It unfortunately can't be helped at the time being, but uh, bear with me and we will continue with the audio. That's the important part anyway. <laughs> Ash, I'm sorry I blew your cover. That's my bad. That's my bad. That's on me. Okay, so into the chapters. Uh, last week... We were in chapter third, uh, excuse me, fourteen. Percy and Padfoot, and uh, we get a long letter, uh, rather, um, <laughs> rather. Uh, hey, uh, good lord, Ron gets a long letter from his brother, and essentially what it says is, "Stay away from that Harry Potter character. He is no good." Now Ron knows Harry pretty darn well at this point. I think we can all agree, and it seems that. There is, there's just some overall kind of unrest regarding Harry Potter specifically. Um, there's some concern at the Ministry over what Dumbledore is up to and what you know what he's going to be, uh, what he's going to be doing in the wake of his announcement that Lord Voldemort is back. You know, this ain't something to to joke around about, and the Ministry is worried. It seems that. Dumbledore might even try to sort of raise some kind of uprising against the ministry using his influence at the school. 
seems kind of preposterous based on what we know so far. Um, after this, Harry Harry wants to talk to um, he wants to talk to Sirius. So he sends a letter off to Sirius and um, tries not to include too much information. Does a pretty good job. He actually meets Cho Chang while he's up there and through a brief discussion, it seems that she doesn't blame him for what happened to Cedric. Um, in fact, it seems that his, his relationship with Cedric might be taking off a little bit. His relationship with Cho might be taking off a little bit. This is crazy. I'm trying to track two chats at once. This is insane. Again, if you're interested in joining the, uh, the main chat, that is in Discord. So, um, Harry and his relationship with Cho, it seems to be kind of improving. It seems to be on less shaky ground than it was before. He was worried she might hate him for what happened, etc. <laughs> you know what, Ash? There are a ton of people online who love the Harry-Cedric relationship. You might be surprised. Or honestly, you might not. If you've been around the internet, you probably won't be surprised by that. Okay. Um, they also find a little detail in the um, uh, the Daily Prophet, a little little small article about Sturgis Podmore. Now, he is one of the Order of the Phoenix. You know, he's with Dumbledore. He's trying to resist um, the influence of Lord Voldemort. And it turns out he was arrested trying to get into a top security door at one in the morning in the Ministry of Magic. That's a little strange, right? Now, the, the, uh, the Golden Trio, as I've heard them referred to, although, you know what, I don't like that title. So, um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione think this is pretty strange. They don't think it can, been, they, they don't think it can have been a mission from, um, from the Order of the Phoenix, because the Order of the Phoenix didn't know what was going on with all this. You know, they, 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 they were anxious that Sturgis Podmore didn't show up to help get Sari help get Harry to school um, on the first day. It's odd. It's odd what, he, what he's up to. And so they think, you know, there might have been a framing. You know, he might be framed for, for you know, trying to do some of this stuff because of his associations with the Order of the Phoenix. Um, we have a practice session with the Quidditch team in which Ron does poorly. He does poorly. Vindrick is wondering how I keep track of my voices for the characters. Um, well, two things. First of all, I have done this before. Um, I've read through. I've read through almost the entire series uh, in my private time, so I've I've done it before. But secondly, um, I do have a spreadsheet as well <laughs> for some of the uh, more minor characters. But uh, it that that can be helpful. <laughs> Other than that, it's just, um, honestly, a, a lot of these voices, I've kind of developed four characters here in Harry Potter. It's the most sort of flexing I've done with um, my vocal work. And uh, so a lot of these characters, like, for instance, the, the voice that I use for uh, Mundungus Fletcher, I also use for uh, Wilson of Wilson's Garage in um, The Great Gatsby. But I just call that voice Mundungus Fletcher. So a lot of the voices that I've started are really associated 
in my mind with a character specifically in Harry Potter. So that helps. Um, by the way, you know what? I'll talk about it at halftime. But uh, Nate, remind me to talk about the uh, the VO stuff if you're still around. Um, so uh, it seems like Ron is suffering under the pressure of, of trying to... <laughs> You know, trying to perform in a Quidditch capacity when he's got people with eyes on him. Um, and finally, where are we at? Uh, we get a surprise visit in the common room, no less, of the of the Gryffindor Tower. Sirius Black. Uh, Sirius Black. Uh, his head pops up in the fire, which we've seen this before. It's a sort of a wizarding communication communication method. Um, but it seems like he sort of takes advantage of the flu network for this kind of thing. And it's a pretty risky move. But not risky enough, it seems. Because Sirius actually offers to meet in Hogsmeade. And Harry, Ron, and Hermione all think this is a you know too risky an idea. Um, which it seems Sirius finds disappointing. Nate, yeah, I... <laughs> Who knows if either of us will be able to remember. It's all good. I should leave myself a note or something. So, that's where we're at. Let's get started, shall we? I don't want to delay too long. Let's do this. Chapter 15. The Hogwarts High Inquisitor. They had expected to have to comb Hermione's daily profit carefully next morning to find the article Percy had mentioned in his letter. However, the departing delivery owl had barely cleared the top of the milk jug when Hermione let out a huge gasp and flattened the newspaper to reveal a large photograph of Dolores Umbridge, smiling widely and blinking slowly at them from beneath the headline, Ministry Seeks Educational Reform, Dolores Umbridge Appointed First Ever High Inquisitor. Umbridge? Inquisitor, said Harry darkly, his half-eaten piece of toast slipping from his fingers. What does that mean? Hermione read aloud. In a surprise move last night, the Ministry of Magic passed a new legislation, giving itself an unprecedented level of control at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The Minister has been growing uneasy about goings-on at Hogwarts for some time, said Junior Assistant to the Minister Percy Weasley. He is now responding to concerns voiced by anxious parents, who feel that the school may be moving in a direction that they do not approve. This is not the first time in recent weeks that the minister, Cornelius Fudge, has used new laws to effect improvements at the Wizarding School. As recently as August 30th, Educational Decree Number 22 was passed to ensure that, in the event of the current headmaster being unable to provide a candidate for a teaching post, the Ministry should select an appropriate person. That's how Dolores Umbridge came to be appointed to teaching staff at Hogwarts, said Weasley last night. Dumbledore can't find anyone, so the minister put in Umbridge, and of course she's been an immediate success. She's been a what? said Harry loudly. Wait, there's more, said Hermione grimly. An immediate success, totally revolutionising the teaching of Defence Against the Dark Arts, and providing the minister with on-the-ground feedback about what's really happening at Hogwarts. It is this last function that the Ministry has now formalised with the passing of the Educational Decree Number 23, which creates the new position of Hogwarts High Inquisitor. 
This is an exciting new phase in the Minister's plan to get grips on what some are calling the falling standards at Hogwarts, said Weasley. The Inquisitor will have the powers to inspect her fellow educators to make sure that they are coming up to scratch. Professor Umbridge has been offered the position in addition to her own teaching post, and we are delighted to say that she has accepted. The Ministry's new moves have received enthusiastic support from parents of students at Hogwarts. I feel much easier in my mind knowing now that I know that Dumbledore is being subjected to fair and objective evaluation, said Mr. Lucius Malfoy, 41, speaking from his Wiltshire mansion last night. Many of us with our children's best interests at heart oh, have been concerned about some of Dumbledore's eccentric decisions in the last few years and I'm glad to know that the Ministry is keeping an eye on the situation. Among these eccentric decisions are undoubtedly the controversial staff appointments previously described in this newspaper, which have included the employment of werewolf Remus Lupin, half-giant Rubius Hagrid, and delusional ex-aura Mad-Eye Moody. Rumours abound, of course, that Albus Dumbledore, once supreme mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards and chief warlock of the Wizen Gamut, is no longer up to the task of managing the prestigious school of Hogwarts. I think the appointment of the Inquisitor is a first step toward ensuring the Hogwarts has a headmaster in whom we can all repose our confidences, said a Ministry insider last night. <sighs> Wizengamot elders Griselda Marchbanks and Tiberius Ogden have resigned in protest at the instruction of the post... Oh, at the... In protest at the introduction of the post of Inquisitor of Hogwarts. Hogwarts is a school, not an outpost of Cornelius Fudge's office, said Madame Marchbanks. This is a further disgusting attempt to discredit Albus Dumbledore. For a full account of Madame Marchbanks's alleged links to subversive goblin groups, turn to page 17. Hermione finished reading and looked across the table at the other two. So now we know how we ended up with Umbridge. Fudge passed this decree and forced her on us. And now he's given her the power to inspect other teachers. Hermione was breathing fast, and her eyes were very bright. I can't believe this! It's outrageous! I know it is, said Harry. He looked down at his right hand, clenched on the tabletop, and saw the faint white outline of the words Umbridge had forced him to cut into his skin. But a grin was unfurling on Ron's face. What? said Harry and Hermione together, staring at him. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I can't wait to see McGonagall uh, get inspected, said Ron happily. Umbridge won't know what's hit her. Well, come on, said Hermione, jumping up. We'd better get going. If she's going to be inspecting Binz's class, we don't want to be late. But Professor Umbridge was not inspecting their history of magic lessons, which was just as dull as the previous Monday. Nor was she in Snape's dungeon when they arrived for double potions, where Harry's Moonstone essay was handed back to him with a large, spiky black D scrawled in an upper corner. I have awarded you with the grades you would have received if you had presented this work in your OWL, said Snape with a smirk, as he swept among them, passing back their homework. This should give you a realistic idea of what to expect in the examination. Snape reached the front of the class and turned on his heel to face them. The general standard of this homework was abysmal. 
Most of you would have failed had this been your examination. I expect to see a great deal more effort for this week's essay on the various varieties of venom antidotes, or I shall have to start handing out detentions to those dunces who got a D. He smirked as Malfoy sniggered and said in a carrying whisper, <laughs> Some people got a D. Harry realized that Hermione was looking sideways to see what grade he had received. He slid his Moonstone essay back into his bag as quickly as possible, feeling that he would rather keep that information private. Determined not to give Snape an excuse to fail him in this lesson, Harry read and reread every line of instructions on the blackboard at least three times before acting on them. His strengthening solution was not precisely the clear turquoise shade of Hermione's, but at least it was blue rather than pink like Neville's, and he delivered a flask of it to Snape's desk at the end of the lesson with a feeling of mingled defiance and relief. Uh, hey chat. Sage, uh, yes, we are going to, uh, excuse me, I'll call you Sagefire. We are, I am going to be redoing chapter 14, but it's not up yet, unfortunately. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm finishing up a project this week and next weekend. Uh, it'll be over next weekend and then uh, things will, think, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to attend to this a little more closely. Brittany Noyes, hey, how's it going? Adam, how you doing? Welcome. Alright, back to the book. Well, that wasn't as bad as last week, was it? Said Hermione as they climbed the stone steps out of the dungeon and made their way across the entrance hall toward lunch. And the homework didn't go too badly either, did it? When neither Ron nor Harry answered, she pressed on. I mean, alright, I didn't expect the top grade, but, you know, not if he's marking you to OWL standard, but a pass is quite encouraging at this stage, wouldn't you say? Harry made a non-committal noise in his throat. Of course, a lot can happen between now and the exam, and we've got plenty of time to improve, but the grades that we're getting now are sort of a, a baseline, aren't they? Something that we can build on. They sat down together at the Gryffindor table. Obviously, I have been thrilled if I got an O... Hermione, said Ron sharply, if you want to know what grades we got, ask us. I, mean, I don't, I'm, I didn't mean, I, well, if you, if you wanted to tell me. I got a P, said Ron, ladling soup into his bowl. Happy? Well, that's nothing to be ashamed of, said Fred, who had just arrived at the table with George and Lee Jordan, and was sitting down on Harry's right. Nothing wrong with a good healthy P. But, said Hermione, doesn't P stand for... Poor, yeah, said Lee Jordan. Still better than a D, isn't it? Dreadful. Harry felt his face grow warm and faked a small coughing fit over his roll. When he emerged, he was sorry to find that Hermione was still in full flow about OWL grades. So, the top grade is O for outstanding, she was saying. And then there's A. No, E. George corrected her. E for exceeds expectations. And I've always thought that Fred and I should have got E in everything because we exceeded expectations just by turning up for the exams. They all laughed, except Hermione, who ploughed on. So, after E, it's an A for acceptable, and that's the last pass grade, isn't it? Yep, said Fred, dunking an entire roll in his soup, transferring it to his mouth and swallowing it whole. And then you get P for poor. Ron raised both his arms in mock celebration. 
and D for dreadful. And then T, George reminded him. T? asked Hermione, looking appalled. Even lower than a D? What on earth does that stand for? Troll, said George promptly. Harry laughed again. He was not sure whether or not George was joking. He imagined trying to conceal from Hermione that he had received T's in all his OWLs and immediately resolved to work harder from now on. You lot had an inspected lesson yet? Fred asked them. No, said Hermione at once. Have you? Just now, before lunch, said George. Charms. What was it like? Harry and Hermione asked together. Fred shrugged. Uh, not that bad. Umbridge just lurked in the corner making notes on a clipboard. You know what Flitwick's like? He treated her like a guest. Didn't seem to bother him at all. She didn't say much. Asked Alicia a couple of questions about what the classes are normally like. Alicia told her they were really good. That was it. I can't see old Flitwick getting marked down, said George. He usually gets everyone through their exams all right. Who have you got this afternoon? Fred asked Harry. Trelawney. A T if I ever saw one. And Umbridge herself. Well, be a good boy and keep your temper with Umbridge today, said George. Angelina will do her nothing if you miss any more Quidditch practices. But Harry did not have to wait long for Defense Against the Dark Arts to meet Professor Trelawney. Nope, let's try that again. But Harry did not have to wait for Defense Against the Dark Arts to meet Professor Umbridge. He was pulling out his dream diary in a seat in the very back of the shadowy divination room when Ron elbowed him in the ribs, and looking around, he saw Professor Umbridge emerging through the trapdoor in the floor. The class, which had been talking cheerily, fell silent at once. The abrupt fall in the noise level made Professor Trelawney, who had been wafting about, handing out copies of the Dream Oracle, look around. Good afternoon, Professor Trelawney, said Professor Umbridge with her wide, toad-like smile. You received my note, I trust, giving the time and date of your inspection. Professor Trelawney nodded curtly and, looking very disgruntled, turned her back on Professor Umbridge and continued giving out books. Still smiling, Professor Umbridge grasped the back of the nearest armchair and pulled it in front of the class so that it was a few inches behind Professor Trelawney's seat. She then sat down, took her clipboard from her flowery bag and looked up expectantly, waiting for the class to begin. Professor Trelawney pulled her shawls tight around her slightly trembling hands, uh, tight about her with slightly trembling hands and surveyed the class through her hugely magnifying glasses. We shall be continuing our study of prophetic dreams today, she said in a brave attempt at her usual mystic tones, though her voice shook slightly. Divide into pairs, please, and interpret each other's latest nighttime visions with the aid of the oracle. She made as though to sweep back to her seat, saw Professor Umbridge sitting right beside it, and immediately veered left toward Parvati and Lavender, who were already deep in discussion about Parvati's most recent dream. Harry opened his book, The Dream Oracle, watching Umbridge covertly. 
She was already making notes in her clipboard. After a few minutes, she got to her feet and began to pace the room in Trelawney's wake, listening to her conversations with students and posing questions here and there. Harry bent his head hurriedly over his book. Think of a dream, quick, he told Ron, in case the old toad comes our way. I did it last time, Ron protested. It's your turn, you tell me one. Oh, I don't know, said Harry desperately, who could not remember dreaming anything at all over the last few days. Let's say that I dreamed I was drowning Snape in my cauldron. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. Ron chortled as he opened his dream oracle. Okay, we've got to add your age to the date, yet you add the dream, the number of the letters in the subject. Would that be drowning or cauldron or Snape? It doesn't matter, pick any of them, said Harry, chancing a glance behind him. Professor Umbridge was now standing at Professor Trelawney's shoulder, making notes, while the divination teacher questioned Neville about his dream diary. What night did you dream this again? Ron said, immersed in calculations. I, I don't know, last night, whenever you like, Harry told him, trying to listen to what Umbridge was saying to Professor Trelawney. They were only a table away from him and Ron now. Professor Umbridge was making another note on her clipboard, and Professor Trelawney was looking extremely put out. Now, said Umbridge, looking up at Trelawney, you have been in this post how long exactly? Professor Trelawney scowled at her, arms crossed and shoulders hunched as though wishing to protect herself as much as possible from the indignity of the inspection. After a slight pause in which she seemed to decide that the question was not so offensive that she could reasonably ignore it, she said in a deeply resentful tone, Nearly sixteen years. Quite a period, said Professor Umbridge, making a note in her clipboard. So it was Professor Dumbledore who appointed you. That's right, said Professor Trelawney shortly. Professor Umbridge made another note. And you are the great-great-granddaughter of the celebrated seer Cassandra Trelawney. Yes, said Professor Trelawney, holding her head a little higher. Another note on the clipboard. But I think... Correct me if I am mistaken, that you are the first in your family since Cassandra to be possessed of second sight. These things often skip, uh, three generations, said Professor Trelawney. Professor Umbridge's toad-like smile widened. Of course, she said sweetly, making yet another note. Well, if you could just predict something for me then. And she looked up inquiringly still smiling. Professor Trelawney stiffened as though unable to believe her ears. I don't understand you, she said, clutching convulsively at the shawl around her scrawny neck. I'd like you to make a prediction for me, said Professor Umbridge very clearly. Harry and Ron were now not the only people watching and listening sneakily from behind their books. Most of the class were staring transfixed at Professor Trelawney, as she drew herself up to her full height, her beads and bangles clinking. The inner sight does not see upon command, she said in scandalized tones. I see, said Professor Umbridge softly, making yet another note in her clipboard. 
I, but, but, wait, said Professor Trelawney suddenly, in an attempt at her usual ethereal voice, though the mystical effect was ruined somewhat by the way it was shaking with anger. I, I think I do see something, something that concerns you. Why, I sense something, something dark, some grave peril. Professor Trelawney pointed a shaking finger at Professor Umbridge who continued to smile, blandly at her, eyebrows raised. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that you are in grave danger, Professor Trelawney finished dramatically. There was a pause. Professor Umbridge surveyed Professor Trelawney. Right, she said softly, scribbling on her clipboard once more. Well, if that is the best that you can do... She turned away, leaving Professor Trelawney standing rooted to the spot, her chest heaving. Harry caught Ron's eye and knew what Ron was thinking, and it was exactly the same as he was. They both knew that Professor Trelawney was an old fraud, but on the other hand, they loathed Umbridge so much, they felt very much on Trelawney's side. Until she swooped down on them a few seconds later, that is. Well, she said, snapping her long fingers under Harry's nose, uncharacteristically brisk. Let me see the start that you've made on your dream diary, please. And by the time she had interpreted Harry's dreams at the top of her voice, all of which, even the ones that usually involved eating porridge, apparently foretold a gruesome and early death, he was feeling much less sympathetic toward her. All the while... Professor Umbridge stood a few feet away, making notes on that clipboard, and when the bell rang she descended the silver ladder first and was waiting for them all when they reached their Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson ten minutes later. Umbridge was smiling and humming to herself when they entered the room. Harry and Ron told Hermione, who had been in arithmancy, exactly what had happened in divination while they all took out their copies of Defensive Magical Theory. But before Hermione could ask any questions, Professor Umbridge had called to them all for order, and silence fell. Wands away, she instructed them all with a smile, and those who had been hopeful enough to take them out sadly returned them to their bags. As we finish chapter one last lesson, I would like you all to turn to page 19 today and commence chapter two, Common Defensive Theories and Their Derivation. There will be no need to talk. Still smiling her wide, self-satisfied smile, she sat down at her desk. The class gave an audible sigh as it turned as one to page 19. Harry wondered dully whether there were enough chapters in the book to keep them reading all through this year's lessons, and was on the point of checking the contents page when he noticed that Hermione had her hand in the air again. Professor Umbridge had noticed too, and what was more, she seemed to have worked out a strategy for just such an eventuality. Instead of trying to pretend she had not noticed Hermione, she got to her feet and walked around the front row of desks until they were face to face. Then she bent down and whispered, so that the rest of the class could not hear, What is it this time, Miss Granger? I've already read chapter two, said Hermione. Well then, proceed to chapter three. I've read that too. I've read the whole book. Professor Umbridge blinked, but recovered her poise almost instantly. Well, then you should be able to tell me what Slinkhard says about the counter-jinxes in Chapter 15. 
He says that counter jinxes are improperly named, said Hermione promptly. He says that jinx is just a name that people give to jinxes when they want... What? Oh. He says... Hermione's much more confident in it than I am. She's much more sure about it. He says that jinx is just a name that people give their jinxes when they want to make them sound more acceptable. Professor Umbridge raised her eyebrows, and Harry knew that she was impressed, against her will. But I disagree, Hermione continued. Professor Umbridge's eyebrows rose a little higher, and her gaze became distinctly colder. You disagree, she repeated. Yes, I do, said Hermione, who, unlike Umbridge, was not whispering, but speaking in a clear, carrying voice that had by now attracted the attention of the rest of the class. Tom Ryder, thanks for the sub. Welcome on. Welcome on board. Mr. Slinkard doesn't like jinxes, does he? But I think they can be very useful when they're used defensively. Oh, you do, do you? said Professor Umbridge, forgetting to whisper and straightening up. Well, I'm afraid that it is Mr. Slinkard's opinion, and not yours, that matters within this classroom, Miss Granger. But, Hermione began, that is enough, said Professor Umbridge. She walked back to the front of the class and stood before them, all the jauntiness she had shown at the beginning of the lesson gone. Miss Granger, I am going to take five points from the Gryffindor house. There was an outbreak of muttering at this. What for? said Harry angrily. Don't you get involved, Hermione whispered urgently to him. For disrupting my class with pointless interruptions, said Professor Umbridge smoothly. I am here to teach you using a ministry-approved method that does not include inviting students to give their opinions on matters about which they understand very little. Your previous teachers in this subject may have allowed you more license, but as none of them, with the possible exception of Professor Quirrell, who did at least appear to have restricted himself to age-appropriate subjects, would have passed a ministry inspection. Yeah, Quirrell was a great teacher, said Harry loudly. There was just that minor drawback of him having Lord Voldemort sticking out of the back of his head. This pronouncement was followed by one of the loudest silences Harry had ever heard. Then, I think another week's detentions would do you some good, Mr. Potter, said Umbridge sleekly. The cut on the back of Harry's hand had barely healed, and by the following morning it was bleeding again. He did not complain during the evening's detention. He was determined not to give Umbridge the satisfaction. Over and over again he wrote, I must not tell lies, and not a sound escaped his lips, though the cut deepened with every letter. The very worst part of this week's set of second... Uh, let's try that again. The very worst part of this second week's worth of detentions was, just as George had predicted, Angelina's reaction. She cornered him just as they arrived at the Gryffindor table for breakfast on Tuesday, and shouted so loudly that Professor McGonagall came sweeping down upon the pair of them from the staff table. Miss Johnson, how dare you make such a racket in the Great Hall? Five points from Gryffindor. But Professor, he's gone and landed himself in detention again. What's this, Potter? said Professor McGonagall sharply, rounding on Harry. Detentions? From whom? From Professor Umbridge, muttered Harry, not meeting McGonagall's beady, square-framed eyes. Are you telling me, 
she said, lowering her voice so that the group of curious Ravenclaws behind them could not hear. That after the warning I gave you last Monday, you lost your temper in Professor Umbridge's class again? Yes, Harry muttered, speaking to the floor. Potter, you must get a grip on yourself. You're heading for some serious trouble. Another five points from Gryffindor. What? What? Professor? No, Harry said, furious at this injustice. I'm already being punished by her. Why do you have to take points as well? Because apparently detentions do not have any effect on you whatsoever, said Professor McGonagall tartly. No, no, not another word of complaint, Potter. And as for you, Miss Johnson, you will can you will confine your shouting matches to the Quidditch pitch in the future, or risk losing the team captaincy. Professor Umbridge strode off back toward the staff table. Angelina gave Harry a look of deepest disgust and stalked away, upon which he flung himself onto the bench beside Ron, fuming. She's taken points off of Gryffindor because I'm having my hand sliced open every night. How is that fair? How? I know, mate, said Ron sympathetically, tipping bacon onto Harry's plate. She's bang out of order. Hermione, however, merely rustled the pages of her daily prophet and said nothing. You think that McGonagall's right, don't you? said Harry angrily to the picture of Cornelius Fudge obscuring Hermione's face. I wish that she hadn't taken the points from you, but I think she's right to warn you not to lose your temper with Umbridge, said Hermione's voice, while Fudge gesticulated forcefully from the front page, clearly giving some kind of speech. Harry did not speak to Hermione all through charms, but when they entered Transfiguration he forgot about being cross with her. Professor Umbridge and her clipboard were sitting in a corner, at the, and the sight of her drove the memory of breakfast right out of his head. Excellent, whispered Ron, and they sat down in their usual seats. Let's see Umbridge get what she deserves. Professor McGonagall marched into the room without giving the slightest indication that she knew that Professor Umbridge was there. That will do, she said and silence fell immediately. Mr. Finnegan, kindly come here and hand back the homework. Miss Brown, please take this box of mice. Don't be silly, girl, they won't hurt you. And hand one to each student. Ahem, ahem, said Professor Umbridge, employing the same silly little cough she had used to interrupt Dumbledore on the first night of term. Professor McGonagall ignored her. Seamus handed back Harry's essay. Harry took it without looking at him and saw, to his relief, that he had managed an A. Right then, everyone, listen closely. Dean Thomas, if you do that with the mouse again, I shall put you in detention. Most of you have now successfully vanished your snails, and even those who were left with a certain amount of shell have got the gist of the spell. Today we shall be... Ham ham, said Professor Umbridge. Yes, said Professor McGonagall, turning around, her eyebrows so close together they seemed to form one long, severe line. I was wondering, Professor, whether you received my note telling you of the date and time of your inspection. Obviously I received it, or I would have asked you what you are doing in my classroom, said McGonagall, turning her back firmly on Professor Umbridge. Many of the students exchanged looks of glee. As I was saying, today we shall be practicing the altogether more difficult vanishment of mice. Now, the vanishing spell, 
Him, him. I wonder, said Professor McGonagall in a cold fury, turning on Professor Umbridge, I expect to gain any idea of my usual teaching methods if you continue to interrupt me. You see, I generally do not permit people to talk when I am talking. Professor Umbridge looked as though she had just been slapped in the face. She did not speak, but straightened the parchment on her clipboard and began scribbling furiously. Looking supremely unconcerned, Professor McGonagall addressed the class once more. As I was saying, the vanishing spell becomes more difficult with the complexity of the animal to be vanished. The snail, as an invertebrate, does not present much of a challenge. The mouse, as a mammal, offers a much greater one. This is not, therefore, magic that you can accomplish with your mind on your dinner. Therefore, so you know the incantation, let me see what you can do. How can she lecture me about not losing my temper with Umbridge? Harry muttered to Ron under his breath, but he was grinning. His anger with Professor McGonagall had quite evaporated. Professor Umbridge did not follow Professor McGonagall around the class as she had followed Professor Trelawney. Perhaps she realized that Professor McGonagall would not permit it. She did, however, take many more notes while sitting in her corner, and when Professor McGonagall finally told them to pack it all away, she rose with a grim expression on her face. Well, it's a start, said Ron, holding up a long, wriggling mouse tail and dropping it back into the box that Lavender was passing around. As they filed out of the classroom, Harry saw Professor Umbridge approach the teacher's desk. He nudged Ron, who nudged Hermione in turn and the three of them deliberately fell back to eavesdrop. "'How long have you been teaching at Hogwarts?' Professor Umbridge asked. "'Thirty-nine years this December,' said Professor McGonagall brusquely, snapping her bag shut. Professor Umbridge made a note. "'Very well,' she said. "'You will receive the results of your inspection in ten days' time.' "'I can hardly wait.' said Professor McGonagall, in a coldly indifferent voice, and she strode off toward the door. "'Hurry up, you three, she added, sweeping Harry, Ron, and Hermione before her. Harry could not help giving her a faint smile, and could have sworn he received one in turn. Miriam says, "'What's frustrating to me about this is Harry is angry at McGonagall, even though she doesn't know what Umbridge is putting him through.' Yeah, I think there is, there is a, a there, there, there are some moments in this where, um, honestly, throughout a lot of this series, where if Harry or the group had perhaps been better about alerting their allies, the people that they know that they can trust, to the various injustices or wrongdoings going on, things could have ended better, perhaps. Harry had thought the next time he would see Umbridge would be in his detention that evening, but he was wrong. When they walked down the lawns toward the forest for care of magical creatures, they found her and her clipboard waiting for them beside Professor Grubbly Plank. You do not usually take this class, is that correct? Harry heard her ask as they arrived at the trestle table, where the group of captive bow truckles were scrabbling around for wood lice like so many living twigs. Quite correct, said Professor Grubbly Plank, hands behind her back and bouncing on the balls of her feet. I am a substitute teacher standing in poor for Professor Hagrid. 
Harry exchanged uneasy looks with Ron and Hermione. Malfoy was whispering with Crabbe and Goyle. He would surely love this opportunity to tell tales on Hagrid to a member of the Ministry. Hmm, said Professor Umbridge, dropping her voice, though Harry could still hear her quite clearly. I wonder. The headmaster seems strangely reluctant to give me any information on the matter. Could you tell me what is causing Professor Hagrid's very extended leave of absence? Harry saw Malfoy look up eagerly and watch Umbridge and Grubbly Plank closely. Afraid that's that I cannot, said Professor Grubbly Plank breezily. Don't know anything more about it than you do. I got an hour from Dumbledore. Would I like a couple of weeks' teaching work? I accepted that is as much as I know. Well, shall we get started then? <laughs> Ash. Thank you, Ash. Um. <laughs> Good lord. Megan, how's it going? Yes. Please do, said Professor Umbridge, scribbling on her clipboard. Umbridge took a different tack in this class and wandered among the students, questioning them on magical creatures. Most people were able to answer well, and Harry's spirits lifted somewhat. At least the class was not letting Hagrid down. Overall, said Professor Umbridge, turning to Professor Grubbly Plank's side after a lengthy interrogation of Dean Thomas, how do you, as a temporary member of the staff, an objective outsider, I suppose you might say, how do you find Hogwarts? Do you feel you receive enough support from the school management? Oh, yes, Dumbledore is excellent, said Professor Grubbly Plank heartily. Yes, I am very happy with the way that things are run. Very happy indeed. Looking politely incredulous, Umbridge made a tiny note on her clipboard and went on. And what are you planning to cover this year? Assuming, of course, that Professor Hagrid does not return. Oh, I will take them through the creatures that are most likely to come up in the OWL, said Professor Grubbly Plank. Not much left to do. They've studied unicorns and nifflers. I thought that we'd cover porlocks and nasals, make sure that they recognize the cups and the gnarls, you know. Well, you seem to know what you are doing, at any rate said Professor Umbridge, making a very obvious tick on her clipboard. Harry did not like the emphasis that she put on you, and liked it even less when she put her next question to Goyle. Now I hear there have been injuries in this class. Goyle gave a stupid grin. Malfoy hastened to answer the question. That was me, he said. I was slashed by a hippogriff. A hippogriff, said Professor Umbridge, now scribbling frantically. Only because he was too stupid to listen to what Hagrid told him to do, said Harry angrily. Both Ron and Hermione groaned. Professor Umbridge turned her head slowly in Harry's direction. Another night's detention, I think, she said softly. Well, thank you very much, Professor Gobblyplank. I think that's all I need here. You will be receiving the results of your inspection within ten days. Jolly good, said Professor Grubbly Plank, and Professor Umbridge set off back across the lawn to the castle. It was nearly midnight when Harry left Umbridge's office that night, his hand now bleeding so severely that it was staining the scarf he had wrapped around it. He expected the common room to be empty when he returned. 
but Ron and Hermione had sat up waiting for him. He was pleased to see them, especially as Hermione was disposed to be the rather sympathetic. Especially as Hermione was disposed to be sympathetic rather than critical. Yeah, she said anxiously, pushing a small bowl of yellow liquid toward him. Soak your hand in that as a solution of strained and pickled mertlap tentacles. It should help. Harry placed his bleeding, aching hand into the bowl and experienced a wonderful feeling of relief. Kirkshanks curled around his legs, purring happily, then leapt into his lap and settled down. Thanks, he said gratefully, scratching behind Crookshanks's ears with his left hand. I still reckon you should complain about this, said Ron in a low voice. No, said Harry flatly. We're gonna go with gold nuts if she knew. Yeah, she probably would, said Harry dully. And how long do you reckon it would take Umbridge to pass another decree, saying that anyone who complains about the High Inquisitor gets sacked immediately? Ron opened his mouth to retort, but nothing came out. And after a moment, he closed it again, defeated. She's an awful woman, said Hermione in a small voice. Awful. You know, I was just saying to Ron when you came in, we've got to do something about her. I suggested poison said Ron grimly. No, I mean, something about what a dreadful teacher he, she is and how we're not going to learn any defense from her at all, said Hermione. Well, what can we do about that, said Ron, yawning. It's too late, isn't it? She's got the job, she's here to stay. Fudge will make sure of that. Well, said Hermione tentatively. You know, I was thinking today, she shot a slightly nervous look at Harry and then plunged on. I was thinking that maybe the time has come when we should just... just do it ourselves. Do what ourselves? said Harry suspiciously, still floating his hand in the essence of Mertlap tentacles. Well, learn defense against the dark arts ourselves, said Hermione. Oh, come off it, groaned Ron. You want us to do extra work. You do realise that Harry and I are behind in homework again and it's only second week. But this is much more important than homework, said Hermione. Harry and Ron goggled at her. I didn't think there was anything in the universe more important than homework, said Ron. Don't be silly, of course there is, said Hermione, and Harry saw, with an ominous feeling, that her face was suddenly alight with the kind of fervour that SPEW usually inspired in her. It's about preparing ourselves, like, like Harry said in our first lesson, for what's waiting for us out there. It's about making sure that we can really defend ourselves. If we don't learn anything for a whole year, then... We can't do much by ourselves, said Ron, in a defeated voice. I mean, all right, we can go and look jinxes up in the library and try to practice them, I suppose. No, I agree. We've, we've gone past the stage where we can learn things out of a book, said Hermione. We need a teacher. A proper one, who can show us how to use the spells and correct us if we're going wrong. If you're talking about Lupin, Harry began. No, I'm not talking about Lupin, said Hermione. He's too busy with the order, and anyway, the most we can see him is during Hogsmeade weekends, and that's not nearly often enough. Okay, who then? said Harry, frowning at her. Hermione heaved a very deep sigh. Isn't it obvious, she said, 
I'm, I'm talking about you, Harry. There was a moment's silence. A light night breeze rattled the window panes behind Harry and the fire guttered. About me what? said Harry. I'm talking about you teaching us defense against the dark arts. Harry stared at her. Then he turned to Ron, ready to exchange the exasperated looks they sometimes shared when Hermione elaborated on far-fetched schemes like SPEW. To Harry's consternation, however, Ron did not look exasperated. He was frowning slightly, apparently thinking. Then he said, That's an idea. What's an idea? said Harry. You, said Ron, teaching us to do it. But... <laughs> Harry was grinning now, sure that the pair of them were pulling his leg. But I'm not a teacher. I, I can't... Harry, you are the best in the year at Defense Against the Dark Arts, said Hermione. Me? said Harry, now grinning more broadly than ever. No, I'm not. You've beaten me in every test. Actually, I haven't, said Hermione coolly. You beat me in our third year, the only year that we were both sat the test and had a good teacher who actually knew the subject. But I'm not talking about test results, Harry. Think about what you've done. How do you mean? You know what? Oh. <laughs> you know what? I'm not sure I want someone this stupid teaching me, Ron said to Hermione, smirking slightly. He turned to Harry. Oh, mm, let's think he said, pulling a face like Goyle concentrating. Oh, first year you saved the Sorcerer's Stone from you-know-who. But that was luck, said Harry. It wasn't skill. Second year, Ron interrupted, you killed the Basilisk and destroyed Riddle. Yes, but if Fox hadn't turned up, then I... Third year, said Ron, louder still. You fought off about a hundred Dementors at once. You know that that was a fluke. If the Time Tanner hadn't last year, Ron said, almost shouting now, you fought off you-know-who again. Listen to me, said Harry, almost angrily, because Ron and Hermione were both smirking now. Just listen to me, all right? It sounds great when you say it like that, but all of that stuff was luck. I, I didn't know what I was doing half the time. I didn't plan any of it. I just did whatever I could think of, and I nearly always had help. Ron and Hermione were both still smirking, and Harry felt his temper rise. He wasn't even sure why he was feeling so angry. Don't just sit there grinning like you know better than I do. I was there, wasn't I? He said heatedly. I know what went on, all right, and I didn't get through any of it because I was brilliant at defense against the dark arts. I got through it because, because help came at the right time, or because I guessed right. I, I was blundering through all of it. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Stop laughing! The bowl of Mertlaff essence fell to the floor and smashed. He became aware that he was on his feet, although he couldn't remember standing up. Crookshanks streaked away under the sofa. Ron and Hermione's smiles had vanished. You don't know what it's like! You, neither of you, you've never had to face him, have you? You think it's just a bunch of memorizing spells and throwing them at him like you're in class or something. The whole time that you're there, you know there's nothing between you and dying, except that your own, your own brain or guts or whatever, like, you can think straight when you know you're about a second from being murdered or tortured or watching your friends die. They've never taught that to us in their classes, 
what it's like to deal with things like that. And you two sit there like I'm some clever little boy to be standing here alive while, like, Diggory was stupid. Like he messed up. You just don't get it. That could just as easily have been me. It would have been if Voldemort hadn't needed me. We weren't saying anything like that, mate, said Ron, looking aghast. We weren't having a go at Diggory. We, we didn't. You, you got the wrong end of the... He looked hopelessly at Hermione, whose face was stricken. Harry, she said timidly. Don't you see? This... This is exactly why we need you. We need to know what it's re really like facing him. Facing v Voldemort. It was the first time she had ever said Voldemort's name. And it was this, more than anything else, that calmed Harry. Still breathing hard, he sat back into his chair, becoming aware as he did so that his hand was throbbing horribly again. He wished he had not smashed the bowl of Mertlap essence. Well, think about it, please, said Hermione quietly. Harry could not think of anything to say. He was feeling ashamed of his outburst already. He nodded, hardly aware of what he was agreeing to. Hermione stood up. Well, I'm off to bed, she said in a voice that was clearly as natural as she can make it. Um... Night? Ron had gotten to his feet, too. You coming? He said awkwardly to Harry. Yeah, said Harry. In... In a minute. I'll just clear this up. He indicated the smashed bowl on the floor. Ron nodded and left. Reparo. Nope. Let's try that again. Reparo, Harry muttered, pointing his wand at the broken pieces of china. They flew back together, good as new, but there was no returning the Mertlap essence to the bowl. He was suddenly so tired he was tempted to sink back into his armchair and sleep there, but instead he forced himself to his feet and followed Ron upstairs. His restless night was punctuated once more by dreams of long corridors and locked doors, and the next day he awoke with his scar prickling again. And that's the end of chapter 15. And wouldn't you know it, we are right on track. We're doing two chapters tonight, by golly! By golly, Miriam Miller says, now that he's back, it's affecting him more, especially with the dreams and constantly being laughed at and having Voldemort alive and kind of attached to him. Uh, and uh, Ashley says, um, wait, Ashley, right? Right? A-S-H? Oh, boy. Ashley, yeah. Uh, and Ashley in Discord says, when they stress out over the amount of homework they have, I get stressed out too because of all my homework. It's very relatable, not very helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, that's I think that's one of the things that Harry Potter is great at, um, and by that virtue that J.K. Rowling is great at is 
increasing that tension and that sort of understanding of the outside world and the pressures in a way that feels, I think, a lot like growing up. It feels a lot like this period in life. You're learning much more about the world. You're caring about things outside of yourself kind of for the first time. Um, and uh, at the same time, you have to care about very personal things like grades and such. Um, so, yeah, I think this is in, in, an excellent representation of what it's like for this, the general stakes of your life to be increasing. Luke says, are you guys familiar with the Enneagram personality typing? Uh, okay, so I'm going to spell this because that's interesting. E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Enneagram. Uh, I think Harry's the only eight that I've ever seen in a positive light. I am not familiar with this thing at all. Um, I am familiar, I guess the only personality typing I'm familiar with is the, um, what is it, the, like, the, INTP, ENTJ, etc. Um, that that whole what is it called? Briggs Myers, I think is what it's called. Myers Briggs, that's what it is. Thank you. Briggs Myers is uh, my favorite Harry Potter universe pirate. <laughs> Yar, Ivy Briggs Myers. Um, yeah, if you want to pop into the Discord, a link to that uh, to to something about Enneagram personality typing, I'd be curious about it. Um, I'm always a little hesitant when talking about personality typing because I think um, people tend to get it confused. Um, they, I think there there's a, an impulse there to, I guess, like astrology or something to kind of play toward it and to have it be um, prescriptive rather than descriptive. To have to have these these personality types be sort of the thing that they should be fulfilling rather than something that is used to describe them and perhaps give them more insight into themselves. Um, Ash says, I'd like a book on Professor McGonagall's youth. It would be interesting. You know what? In my in my uh, travels around the internet looking for art about the books, um, I've actually seen quite a bit of art um, about Professor McGonagall and uh, Madame Pomfrey. I think her first name is Poppy. Um, and how they are, you know, they, they're, they're similar personality types. And I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the, the depictions are romantic. Um, and we don't see anything of it from the books themselves. But, you know, headcanon is fun to have regardless, especially when you can fully dive in like this. Um, it's part of the thing that makes uh, role-playing games so fun. Um, by the way, you know what? I'm remembering right now. So, Nate, you don't have to remind me. Um, Laura Miller, hi, how's it going? Um, uh, I just wanted to, to let y'all know that if anyone ever has any, uh, um, I don't know, I, I don't even know how to, how to state it properly. This has never been, this pursuit has never been, um, uh, a, an adventure in, in money-making, right? This is never something I expected to make any money on. I don't ever intend to monetize the, the Harry Potter stuff. Um, I, you know, I might at some point with some of the older stuff like, um, Great Gatsby, that sort of thing. Um, but, but this, this was never in, intended to be that. Um, what I would love, however, is, um, I've had a, I've had some feedback, uh, about voiceover talent. Um, I've, I've had a lot of people with excellent feedback about this. Um, it's all right, Nate, don't worry about it. I got to it early. It's all good. Um, I've had a, a lot of people, and like I said before, this, this streaming has been some of the most holistically positive feedback I've ever received about anything I've ever tried to pursue in my life. This, this is the life of Sam Compton. This channel 
has given me some of the 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 almost purely given me the most purely positive feedback I've ever gotten about anything. Anything. Um and a lot of that is about sort of the the voices that I do and and sort of the voice acting side of it. Um, this is this was definitely one of the intents is to practice that sort of thing. And I didn't imagine I would have access to so many people. I, like I said, when I was I did this for about a year with a with seventeen subscribers. Um, uh, Rachel, by the way, thank you for sticking with me through all that. I don't think she's in here tonight, but as always, thank you so much for uh, helping me through that that first year. It was fantastic. Um, but now I've got all of you people in front of me. And so, um, again, without really knowing how to ask, I would love if any of you have connections or anything to the voice acting world, um, I would be very interested in pursuing something like that. And I would love to dig deeper into that. So if you have, if you have any, any resources that I should look into, uh, I would love for you to let me know. And I appreciate it a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be mentioning that probably a couple of times in the in the uh, coming streams, but uh, it would be fantastic to be able to do this in a more, uh, I guess, official and interesting capacity. And of course, I would love to be bringing you guys with me on that on that journey. Um, but uh, it's been fantastic so far, and uh, I love you all for being here. Thank you so much. Um, Luke uh, has put uh, this discussion in the discord which i want to remind you all the discord is a great place uh not only to listen to the stream because uh, you can do that through discord but also uh, to join the discussion that is sort of my primary chat from here on out i think um uh donner pass whiskey says hi just discovered your channel the other day welcome welcome to the stream how are you doing um i'm going to take a quick break i'm going to be gone for about five minutes and then i'm going to come back and we're going to we're going to do beans first and then we're going to jump into the second chapter for the night all right i'll see y'all in five goodbye be with you in a sec hello wonderful people and welcome back what's chat up to luke says looking forward to that monster what monster are we talking about oh bella yeah Bellatrix Lestrange, and okay, look, there's a, there's a, there's clearly a movement behind this whole share as Bellatrix thing. I don't know if I can pull off share in like a convincing way. She just doesn't have like a, like, like, um, like Edna. That's a really distinctive voice. Um, that's one that I can pull off without just sounding like I'm, I'm changing virtually nothing. Um, I'm again, I'm, I'm watching interviews. I'm gonna try it. I'm going to try it. Okay. Now, it's beans time. For anyone who doesn't know, hey, I do this beans thing. I do this thing where I eat uh, jelly beans. It's a mix of good ones and bad ones, aka Birdie Bots Every Flavor Beans. Um, there's actually the added challenge, thanks to my mod, Nate, um, and uh, the the lovely uh, Michaela. Um, a little bit of uh, extra challenge, trying to guess with my terrible, terrible, um, essentially blind palate. <laughs> um, there are some soda pop beans in there too. Melanated Gemini, welcome back. Still love that name. Okay. Let's do beans. Now I eat beans as a reflection of the uh, all of the subs that I've gotten. So I really appreciate y'all telling people about the channel. Anyone who's interested in Harry Potter, anyone who's interested in books or uh, classic literature like The Great Gatsby, not sure what I'm doing next for that one, um, or anyone who just likes 
having some background noise on while they <laughs> while they while they're doing some sort of inane chores. Uh, and of course, Miss Frizzle shows up. Beans. Just just for this. I don't even I don't even think you listened to the rest of the stream. For shame. Alright, let's do this. Bean one. Go. How many? Mm. Ah. <laughs> Good grief. I can feel it. I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Saved it or saved it. Okay. Mm, outside of this one doesn't seem very sweet. Going in for it. I am pretty confident that is a root beer bean. I did it. I'm good at this. Oh, I'm so good at this. I'm because awesome. You're, you're narrowing down your pool to like six flavors. Nah. Yeah. Nah, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nate, take care of that. <laughs> okay. Oof. Chantal Alwan is wondering, would you consider doing a Song of Ice and Fire next? That would be an enormous undertaking. And honestly, the answer, the answer is just a flat no until the full series has been published. Even then, I'm not sure. Okay, so this bean is taking forever to go down. Wait, well, keep chewing it. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. Stop chewing it. <laughs> How many are you doing? Mm hmm. Why? I think, I think the fact that you want to, that you're insisting that you should know is, is a, a sign that you're trying to do something dastardly. So I'm not going to let it happen. Bean me, baby. Are you doing it? Are you doing the? Okay, good. Thank you. Being delivered. <laughs> Ash. Ash. I, Ash memed me. Why am I black and white? Whatever. Ow. Um. That feels like a sprite kind of thing. Or a 7-Up maybe? Yep. Which one is it? Do you know? 7-Up. It's on the thing. It's probably 7-Up. That's right, Ash. Meme me again. One more again. Do it at me. All right. But okay, everyone, I I I can taste things. Oh, and it's the same six flavors. <laughs> Somehow these are all ending up on top. The, the which means that in the latter half of this batch, it's <laughs> Thank you. Latter half of this batch is going to be mostly bad beans, and I'm not feeling great about that. Um, Adam Baker says, Sam, you may want to look into Voices.com. This is sausage. I'm three for three, folks, but it's sausage. Ah. Ah. Come on. Adam Baker said, uh, "Adam Baker says you may want to look into Voices.com. It's a talent bank for voice actors. Don't know much more, but it's a good place to start." Thank you very much. I appreciate it quite a bit. Oh man, I am right, aren't I? Yes. I almost said Emmentai, which I haven't said since I was like four or five years old. Emmentai, Emmentai, good at this. Uh, well, three for three, great, awesome. 
I guess I was bound to get better at it. There is something to that whole Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. If I spend 10,000 hours guessing which beans are which flavors, I will eventually be able to distinguish between grass and sausage. Uh, Muse says, sorry about the sausage. Muse, thank you. I appreciate your condolences. He keeps getting delicious, delicious soda beans. He deserves a sausage every now and then. Luke, yeah, that's that's precisely the... (laughs) How dare you? Uh, That is precisely the the, the logic. Everyone hears the contractions. It's it's do and don't, etc. Why not am and am not? I am... I amn't. <laughs> Alright, that's the third one right. Let's see if we can go five for five today, shall we? Five. No, I'm doing thirty. <sighs> hey general, welcome. Alright, let's do three. Or er, this is number four, isn't it? Let's do it. Let's get it. Okay. I'm gonna I'll tell you what, I'm gonna make a prediction. This one's gonna be uh toothpaste. Toothpaste is one, right? Thank you. It's too pleasant to be toothpaste. I think it's going to be marshmallow. I shouldn't have guessed so early. I felt like I probably could have had that if I'd like given it a second. Um, it tastes pretty vanilla-y. Of course, it doesn't help that my memory is... It's like a ticking hard drive like my last laptop. I don't even remember my options. Ooh, that's nice. That wasn't marshmallow? No. What was it? It was a soda. Oh, it was a cream soda. Yeah. I keep forgetting that cream soda is a thing in this. Okay, well... I'm going to give you two this time. No streak today. Absolutely it is. Thank you. All right, folks. Um, the double uh, <laughs> My lovely assistant is... Uh, we're going to double up, as I believe uh, Luke has been suggesting for a long time. Um, doing double beans. So I guess let's see how this goes down. A little bit of uh, uh, beans potion class. Let's see what kind of horrible nonsense we cook up. We are absolutely going to fail our OWLs for this one. Um, I feel like you should bite them at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. One, 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 uh, one under the hammer fall of each side of my molars. All right, let's do this. Did you intentionally make like one good and one bad? I'm still, I don't know that the flavors yet, but okay, great. Maybe this will make the. <laughs> maybe this will make the. The bad one's easier to sort out. I'm going to guess strawberry and pepper, or cherry and pepper. I can never remember that. You always say cherry. Mm -mm. (laughs) Is it grape, soda, and pepper? You always call it cherry or strawberry. Okay. So here's something that's interesting, actually. Um, I'm a big, like, home cooking fan. I enjoy doing it watch a lot of YouTubers who who do that. Alton Brown recently put out a recipe for an icebox cake, which is essentially this old thing they invented in the 50s to keep up with 
uh, to, to make people want to buy refrigerators. Um, and one of the recipes that he put up was an ice. Are you familiar with what an icebox cake is? It's essentially just like you, you take some sort of um, like confectionery, like either like graham crackers or like old slices of cake or something. Uh, and then you put it that, although I believe that would be cheating. Um, graham crackers, little like, like, like Oreos, that kind of stuff. Um, hard, like crunchier stuff. And then you... Uh, you can soak them, uh, but then you put them in essentially with a bunch of whipped cream and then some other stuff, maybe fruit, maybe chocolate, what have you, and then throw it in the fridge and let it sort of uh, solidify. And then you pull it out, cut it up. Good stuff. Um, one of his recipes, boy, this is a long tangent. Uh, um, graham cracker, whipped cream, strawberries, and ground black pepper. So I'm going to tell y'all what right now. All that to say, honestly, that wasn't the worst. Yeah, but just like just the the sweetness with the pepper, it wasn't it wasn't the worst. I guess you know pepper has never been like it's never been like shockingly bad beans when we get pepper. That's all right. Lovely assistant, thank you. I love you. <laughs> Appreciate you. You can build me an ogre. Do it. Do it up. Build me a build me a, a cave troll. All right, I believe three is the record. Uh, General, uh, you did not miss everything. We've still got a uh, we've still got a chapter. So, without further ado, let's get into that nonsense, shall we? Miss Frizzle, yeah, you soaked the graham crackers, like in uh, tiramisu. This is not an unknown concept. Come on, come on, on my level. Come on, drive safe. I don't know who's doing it, but thank you, Nate. That's a good call. Adam Baker, gonna lurk a bit. Time to drive home. Sounds great. Have a good one. You know what? We're just going to go. Um, in our last chapter, what do we find out? Um, uh, Umbridge has been appointed not just the teacher of Defense Against the Dark Arts, not just the professor for that class, but also the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, which is a position put in place by the Ministry of Magic. It seems just to keep an eye on Hogwarts and make sure that Dumbledore is not getting too... Ooh, <laughs> I almost used some very improper language there. Um, uh uh, improper and imprecise. Uh, so instead, I will say um, whether he's getting too rambunctious in in uh, his attitudes. <laughs> General says, "Say it, coward." I won't. I absolutely will not. Um, yeah, Muse, like Ladyfinger's cake, tiramisu. Yeah. Um, it seems, as we might have expected, that Umbridge is going to take this task very clearly. Clearly, very. <laughs> I don't even know what word I'm looking for. Very seriously. Good lord, um, she's taking this very clearly. I did it again. <sighs> the the pepper the pepper is a it's an ambush kind of bean. Um, she's taking it very seriously. She is going around to uh, the classrooms of the other professors here at school. Uh, finally, she is using this as an opportunity to head into um, Hagrid's old class. Uh, currently being taught by the sub, Professor Grubbly Plank, and uh, inquiring about Hagrid's whereabouts, seemingly poking into not just the affairs of the school, but also maybe with some some designs on understanding better what the Order of the Phoenix is up to. You know, we don't know whether or not she even knows of the existence of the Order of the Phoenix, but clearly she's aware that there are people who are on Dumbledore's side who are intent on, on uh, protecting the wizarding world from 
Lord Voldemort, something that she considers to be uh, just an excuse for sedition, I suppose. In all this, Harry gets more detentions. Um, and finally, at the very end of the chapter, we hear as Harry soaks his hand in a, a bowl of this, this stuff designed to soothe, where um, the scars on the back of his hand from writing lines with Umbridge's cursed quill, um, he's soothing his hand and Hermione suggests, and Ron quickly agrees, that Harry be the one to teach them defense against the dark arts. Harry gets very angry, um, insisting that they don't know what it's like. He says that he was lucky or that help arrived at the right time, and that they don't understand what it's like to be staring death in the face, to be staring Voldemort in the face. And Hermione says, I think rightly, that's exactly why they need someone like Harry, so that they can truly understand. Evan says, so excited, first time in the live stream. Just binged all of your videos over the last month, went back to the audiobook, and I miss your voices. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for uh, for jumping back in. Um, and uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for picking them up. I love doing it. Okay. So, next chapter. Chapter 16. In the hog's head. Hermione made no mention of Harry giving Defense Against the Dark Arts lessons for two whole weeks after her original suggestion. Harry's detentions with Umbridge were finally over. He doubted whether the words now etched in the back of his hand would ever fade entirely. Ron had had four more Quidditch practices and not been shouted at during the last two, and all three of them had managed to vanish their mice in Transfiguration. Hermione had actually progressed to vanishing kittens before the subject was broached again, on a wild, blustery evening at the end of September, when the three of them were sitting in the library, looking up potions ingredients for Snape. I was wondering, Hermione said suddenly, whether you'd thought any more about defense against the dark arts, Harry. Of course I have, said Harry grumpily. Can't forget it, can we, with that hag teaching us? I meant the idea that Ron and I had. Ron cast her an alarmed, threatening sort of look. She frowned at him. Oh, all right, the idea that I had then, about, about you teaching us. Harry did not answer at once. He pretended to be perusing a page of the Asiatic anti-venoms because he did not want to say what was on his mind. He had given the matter a great deal of thought over the... F uh, ooh. He had given the matter a great deal of thought over the past fortnight. Sometimes it seemed an insane idea, just as it had the night when Hermione had proposed it, but others... He had found himself thinking about the spells that had served him best in various encounters with dark creatures and Death Eaters. He found himself, in fact, subconsciously planning lessons. Well, he said slowly, when he could no longer pretend to find Asiatic anti-venoms interesting, yeah, I, I, I've thought about it a bit. And, said Hermione eagerly, I don't know, said Harry, playing for time. He looked up at Ron. I thought it was a good idea from the start, said Ron, who seemed keener to join in this conversation, now that he was sure Harry was not going to start shouting again. Harry shifted uncomfortably in his chair. You did listen to what I said about it being a load of luck, didn't you? Yes, Harry, said Hermione gently. But 
All the same, there's no point in pretending that you're not good at defence against the Dark Arts, because you are. You were the only person last year who could throw off the Imperious Curse completely. You can produce a Patronus. You can do all sorts of stuff that even full-grown wizards can't. Victor always said. Ron looked around at her so fast he appeared to crick his neck. Rubbing it, he said, Yeah? What did Vicky say? Ho, ho, said Hermione in a bored voice. He said that Harry knew to do how to do stuff that even he didn't, and he was in the final year at Durmstrang. Ron was looking at Hermione suspiciously. You're not still in contact with him, are you? So what if I am? said Hermione coolly, even though her face was a little pink. I can have a pen pal if I... He didn't only want to be your pen pal, said Ron accusingly. Hermione shook her head exasperatedly, and, ignoring Ron, who was continuing to watch her, said to Harry, Well, what do you think? Will you teach us? Just you and Ron, yeah? Well, said Hermione, looking a mite anxious again. Well, now, don't fly off the handle again, Harry, please, but I really think you ought to teach anyone who wants to learn. I mean, we're talking about defending ourselves against v Voldemort. Oh, don't be pathetic, Ron. It doesn't seem fair if we don't offer the chance to other people. Harry considered this for a moment, then said, Yeah, but I doubt anyone except you two would want to be taught by me. I'm a nutter, remember? Well, I think you might be surprised about how many people would be interested in hearing what you've got to say, said Hermione seriously. Look, she leaned toward him. Ron, who was still watching her with a frown on his face, leaned forward to listen too. You know that the first weekend in October is a Hogsmeade weekend. How would it be if we could tell anyone who's interested to meet us in the village and we can talk it over? Why do we have to do it outside school? said Ron. Because, said Hermione, returning to the diagram of the Chinese chomping cabbage she was copying, I don't think Umbridge would be very happy if she found out what we were up to. Harry had been looking forward to the Hogsweed. Hogsweed? Hello? <laughs> That's the really bad pot that the upper that the uh, the older Slytherins sell. Harry had been looking forward to the weekend trip to Hogsmeade, <laughs> but there was one thing worrying him. Sirius had maintained a stoly, stony silence since he had appeared in the fire in the beginning of September. Harry knew that they had made him angry by saying they didn't want him to come, but he still worried from time to time that Sirius might throw caution to the winds and turn up anyway. What were they going to do if a great black dog came bounding up the street toward them in Hogsmeade, perhaps under the nose of Draco Malfoy? Well, you can't blame him for wanting to get out, said Ron, when Harry discussed his fears with him and Hermione. I mean, he's been on the run for over two years, hasn't he? And I know he can't have, it can't have been a laugh, but at least he was free, wasn't he? Now he's just shot up all the time with that ghastly elf. Hermione scowled at Ron, but otherwise ignored the slight on creature. The trouble is, she said to Harry, until Vol Voldemort, oh for heaven's sake, Ron, comes out into the open, Sirius is going to have to stay hidden, isn't he? I mean, the stupid ministry isn't going to realise that Sirius is innocent until they accept that Dumbledore has been telling the truth about him all along. And once those fools start 
catching real death eaters again, it'll be obvious that Sirius isn't one. I mean, he hasn't got the mark, for one thing. I don't reckon he'd be stupid enough to turn up, said Ron bracingly. Dumbledore would go mad if he did. Sirius listens to Dumbledore, even if he doesn't like what he hears. When Harry continued to look worried, Hermione said, Listen, Ron and I have been sounding out people who we thought might want to learn some proper defence against the Dark Arts, and there are a couple who seem interested. They've told, we've told them to meet us in Hogsmeade. Right, said Harry vaguely, his mind still on Sirius. Don't, don't worry, Harry, Hermione said quietly. You've got enough on your plate without Sirius, too. She was quite right, of course. He was barely keeping up with his homework, even though he was doing much better now that he was no longer spending every evening in detention with Umbridge. Ron was even further behind on his work than Harry, because they had both had Quidditch practice twice a week. But Ron also had his prefect duties. However, Hermione, who was taking more subjects than either of them, had not only finished all of her homework, but was also finding time to knit more elf scarves. Uh, excuse me. To knit more elf clothes. Harry had to admit that she was getting better. It was now almost impossible... Mm, it was now almost possible to distinguish between the hats and the socks. The morning of the Hogsmeade visit dawned bright but windy. After breakfast, they queued up in front of Filch, who matched their names to the long list of students who had permissions from their parents or guardians to visit the village. With a slight pang, Harry remembered that if it hadn't been for Sirius, he would not have been going at all. When Harry reached Filch, the caretaker gave a great sniff as though trying to detect a whiff of something from Harry. Then he gave a curt nod that set his jowls a-quiver again, and Harry walked on, out into the stone out to the stone steps in the cold, sunlit day. Uh, why was Filch sniffing you? asked Ron, as he, Harry, and Hermione set off at a brisk pace down the wide drive to the gates. I suppose he was checking for the smell of dung bombs, said Harry with a small laugh. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. And he recounted the story of sending his letter to Sirius and Filch, bursting in seconds later, demanding... I should say that more clearly. And he recounted the story of sending his letter to Sirius, and Filch bursting in seconds later, demanding to see the letter. To his slight surprise, Hermione found this story highly interesting, much more indeed than he did himself. He said he was tipped off that you were ordering dung bombs. But who tipped him off? I don't know, said Harry, shrugging. Maybe Malfoy. He would think it's a laugh. They walked between the tall stone pillars, topped with winged boars, and turned left to the road into the village, the wind whipping their hair into their eyes. Malfoy? said Hermione skeptically. Well, yes, maybe. And she remained deep in thought all the way to the outskirts of Hogsmeade. Where are we going, anyway? Harry asked. The three broomsticks? Oh, no, said Hermione, coming out of her reverie. No, it's always packed and really noisy. I've told the others to meet us in the Hogshead, that other pub. You know the one, it's not on the main road. I think it's a bit, you know, dodgy, but students don't normally go in there, so I don't think we'll be overheard. They walked down the main street past Zonko's wizarding joke shop, 
where they were not surprised to see Fred, George, and Lee Jordan pass the post office. Oh, where they were not surprised to see Fred, George, and Lee Jordan pass the post office, from which owls issued at regular intervals, and turned up a side street, at the top of which stood a small inn. A battered wooden sign hung from a rusty bracket over the door, and a picture on it of a wild boar's severed head leaking blood under the white cloth around it creaked in the wind as they approached. All three of them hesitated outside the door. "'Well, come on,' said Hermione, slightly nervously. Harry led the way inside. By the way, as I was looking for art for this chapter, <laughs> I was, uh, I was like, boy, some of these signs for the Hogshead are pretty, pretty, uh, dark. And then I realized, um, nope, turns out that is actually how it's described in the chapter. It was not at all like the three broomsticks, whose large bar gave the impression of gleaming warmth and cleanliness. The Hogshead Bar comprised one small, dingy, and very dirty room that smelled strongly of something that might have been goats. The bay windows were so encrusted with grime that the very little daylight that permeated the room uh, did very little, but it was lit instead with the stubs of candles sitting on rough wooden tables. The floor seemed at first glance to be compressed earth though as Harry stepped onto it he realized that there was stone beneath what looked like an accumulated filth of centuries. Harry remembered Hagrid mentioning this pub in his first year. You got a lot of funny folk in the hogshead, he had said, explaining how he had won a dragon's egg from a hooded stranger there. At the time, Harry had wondered why Hagrid had not found it odd that the stranger kept his face hidden throughout this encounter. Now he saw that keeping your face hidden was something of a fashion in the hog's head. There was a man at the bar whose whole head was wrapped in dirty gray bandages, though he still managed to gulp endless glasses of some smoking, fiery substance through a slit over his mouth. Two figures, shrouded in robes, sat at a table in one of the windows. Harry might have thought them Dementors had they not been talking in strong Yorkshire accents, and in a shadowy corner beside the fireplace sat a witch with a thin black veil that fell to her toes. They could just see the tip of her nose because it caused the veil to protrude slightly. "'I don't know about this, Hermione,' Harry muttered as they crossed to the bar. He was looking particularly at the veiled witch. Has it occurred to you that Umbridge might be under that? Hermione cast an appraising eye over the veiled figure. Umbridge is shorter than that woman, she said quietly. Anyway, if Umbridge does come in here, there's nothing she can do. There's nothing that she can do to stop us, Harry, because I've double and triple checked the school rules. We are not out of bounds. I specifically asked Professor Flitwick whether students were allowed to come to the Hogshead, and he said yes. But he advised me strongly to bring our own glasses. And I looked up everything I can think of about study groups and homework groups, and they're definitely allowed. I just think it's a good idea if we don't parade what we're doing. No, said Harry dryly, especially as it's not exactly a homework group that you're planning, is it? The barman sidled toward them out of the back room. He was a grumpy-looking old man with a great deal of long gray hair and beard. He was tall and thin and looked vaguely familiar to Harry. What? he grunted. Three butterbeers, please, said Hermione. The man reached beneath the counter and pulled up three very dusty, very dirty bottles, which he slammed on the bar. 
Six sigils, he said. I'll get them, said Harry quickly, passing over the silver. The barman's eyes traveled over Harry, resting for a fraction of a second on his scar. Then he turned away and deposited Harry's money in an ancient wooden till whose drawer slid open automatically to receive it. Harry, Ron, and Hermione retreated to the furthest table from the bar and sat down, looking around. The man in the dirty gray bandages rapped on the counter with his knuckles and received another smoking drink from the barman. "'You know what?' Ron murmured, looking over at the bar with enthusiasm. "'We could order anything we liked in here. I bet that bloke would sell us anything. He wouldn't care. I've always wanted to try fire whiskey.' "'You are a prefect!' snarled Hermione. "'Oh,' said Ron, his smile fading from his face. "'Yeah.' "'So who did you say is supposed to be meeting us?' Harry asked, wrenching open the rusty top of his butterbeer and taking a swig. "'Just, just a couple of people,' Hermione repeated, checking her watch and looking anxiously toward the door. I told them to be here about now, and I'm sure that they all know where it is. Oh, look, this might be them now. The door of the pub had opened. A thick band of dusty sunlight split the room in two for a moment and then vanished, blocked by the incoming rush of a crowd of people. All right, and then uh, buckle up, chat, because it's a long list of names here. Uh, in general, that's a good question. Thank you for uh, remaining secretive. I appreciate that. Um... Donner Pass Whiskey, thanks for subbing just a few days ago, as you say. Pablo Rodriguez, hey, how's it going? You are not too late. We are doing uh, chapter two for the night. First came Neville and Dean and Lavender, who were followed closely by Parvati and Padme Patil with, Harry's stomach did a backflip, Cho and one of her usually giggly girlfriends. Then, on her own and looking so dreamy she might have walked in by accident, Luna Lovegood, then Katie Bell, Alicia Spinnett, and Angelina Johnson, Colin and Dennis Creevy, Ernie McMillan, Justin Finch-Fletchley, Hannah Abbott, a Hufflepuff girl with a long plate down her back whose name Harry did not know, three Ravenclaw boys he was pretty sure were called Anthony Goldstein, Michael Corner, and Terry Boot, Ginny, followed closely by a tall, skinny, blonde boy with an upturned nose whom Harry recognized vaguely as being a member of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team, and bringing up the rear... Fred and George Weasley, with their friend Lee Jordan, all three of whom were carrying a large, were carrying large paper bags crammed with Zonko's merchandise. A couple of people, said Harry hoarsely to Hermione. A couple of people. Yes, well, the idea was quite popular, said Hermione happily. Ron, do you want to pull up some more chairs? The barman had frozen in the act of wiping out a glass with a rag so filthy it looked as though it had never been washed. Possibly he had never seen this pub so full. Aye, said Fred, reaching the bar first and counting his companions quickly. Could we have twenty-five butterbeers, please? The barman glared at him for a moment, then, throwing his rag down irritably as though he had been interrupted in something very important, he started passing up dusty butterbeers from under the bar. Cheers, said Fred, handing them out. Cough up, everyone. I haven't got enough gold for all of these. Harry watched numbly as the large, chattering group took their beers from Fred and rummaged in their robes to find coins. He could not imagine what all these people turned up for, 
until the horrible thought occurred to him that they might be expecting some kind of speech, at which he rounded on Hermione. "'What have you been telling these people?' he said in a low voice. "'What are they... what are they expecting?' "'I've told you, Harry, they want to hear what you've got to say,' said Hermione soothingly. But Harry continued to look at her so furiously that she added quickly, "'You don't have to do anything yet. I'll speak to them first. "'Hey, Harry,' said Neville, beaming and taking a seat opposite him. Harry tried to smile back, but did not speak. His mouth was exceptionally dry. Cho had just smiled at him and sat down at Ron's right. Her friend, who had curly reddish-blonde hair, did not smile, but gave Harry a thoroughly mistrusting look, which told Harry plainly that, given her way, she would not have been here at all. In twos and threes, the new arrivals settled down around Harry, Ron, and Hermione, some looking rather excited, others curious, Luna Lovegood gazing dreamily into space. When everyone had pulled up a chair, the chatter died out. Every eye was upon Harry. Um, said Hermione, her voice slightly higher than usual, out of nerves. Um, well, hi. The group focused its attention on her instead, though eyes continued to dart back regularly to Harry. Um, uh, well, uh, you know why you're here. Um, well, Harry here had the idea, I mean, I mean... Harry had thrown her a sharp look. I had the idea that it might be good if people who wanted to study Defense Against the Dark Arts, and I mean, really study it, you know, not the rubbish that Umbridge is doing with us. Hermione vo Hermione's voice suddenly became much stronger and more confident. Because nobody could call that Defense Against the Dark Arts. Hear, hear, said Anthony Goldstein, and Hermione looked heartened. Well, I thought it would be good if we, uh, well, took matters into our own hands. She paused, looking sideways at Harry, and went on. And by that I mean learning how to defend ourselves properly, not just in theory, but doing real spells. You want to pass your defense against the Dark Arts Owls too, huh, I bet, said Michael Corner, who was watching her closely. Of course I do, said Hermione at once, but more than that, I want to be properly trained in defense, because, because, she took a great breath and finished, because Lord Voldemort is back. The reaction was immediate and predictable. Cho's friend shrieked and slopped Butterbeer down herself. Terry Boot gave a kind of involuntary twitch. Padme Patil shuddered, and Neville gave an odd yelp that he managed to turn into a cough. All of them, however, looked fixedly, even eagerly, <laughs> even eagerly at Harry. Well, that's the plan anyway, said Hermione. If you want to join us, we need to decide how we're going to... Where's the proof that you know who's back, said the blonde Hufflepuff player in a rather aggressive voice. Well, Dumbledore believes it, Hermione began. You mean Dumbledore believes him, said the blonde boy, nodding at Harry. And who are you, said Ron, rather rudely. Zacharias Smith, said the boy. I think we've got a right to know exactly what makes you say you know who is back. Look, said Hermione, intervening swiftly, that's not really what this meeting was supposed to be about. It's okay, Hermione, said Harry. It had just dawned on him why there were so many people here. 
He thought Hermione should have seen this coming. Some of these people, maybe even most of them, had turned up in the hopes of hearing Harry's story firsthand. Uh, Luke says, doing Hermione's voice this long can't be fun. It's actually okay, um, as long as I haven't had to do Hermione, like a high-pitched one, and then also one of the real gravelly ones, like uh, Mad-Eye Moody or something. Uh, it's okay. By the way, I know I've gotten some feedback that Hermione's voice is pretty pretty high-pitched. I recognize it is it is a high-pitched voice, um, but I will remind you that uh, her voice is most often described, when, when it is described, as shrill. And so I think this is not just my... This, it's a good way to differentiate, um, you know, being as I do have a male voice box. Um, uh, it's a good way to differentiate, keeping it pretty high, but it's also, I think, in character for her specifically. Um, What makes me say, you know who is back, he repeated, looking at Zacharias straight in the face. I saw him. But Dumbledore told the whole school what happened last year, and if you don't believe him, you won't believe me. And I'm not wasting an afternoon trying to convince anyone. The whole group seemed to have held its breath while Harry spoke. Harry had the impression even the barman was listening. He was making, he was wiping the same glass with the filthy rag, making it steadily dirtier. And by the way, I did have a voice planned for Zacharias, and this isn't, that's not the one, so I'm going to start with it now. Zacharias said dismissively, All Dumbledore told us last year was that Cedric Diggory got killed by you-know-who, and that you brought Cedric Diggory back to Hogwarts. The body, anyway. He didn't give us details. He didn't tell us exactly how Diggory got murdered. I think we'd all like to know. If you come here to see what it looks like when Voldemort murders someone, I can't help you. Harry said. His temper, always so close to the surface these days, was rising again. He did not take his eyes off of Zacharias Smith's aggressive face and was determined not to look at Cho. I don't want to talk about Cedric Diggory, all right? So if that's what you're here for, you might as well clear out. He cast an angry look in Hermione's direction. This was, he felt, all her fault. She had decided to display him like some sort of freak, and of course they had all turned up just to see how wild his story was. But none of them left their seats. Not even Zacharias Smith, though he continued to gaze intently at Harry. So said Hermione, her voice very high-pitched again. So, like I was saying, if you want to learn some defense, then we will need to work out how we're going to do it, how often we're going to meet, and where we're going to— Is it true? interrupted the girl with the long plate down her back, looking at Harry. That you can produce a Patronus? There was a murmur of interest around the group at this. Yeah, said Harry, slightly defensively. A corporeal Patronus? The phrase stirred something in Harry's memory. Uh, you don't know Madame Bones, do you? He asked. The girl smiled. She's my auntie, she said. I'm Susan Bones. She told me about your hearing. So, is it really true? You can make a stag Patronus? Yes, said Harry. Blimey, Harry, said Lee, looking deeply impressed. I never knew that. Mum told Ron not to spread it around, said Fred, grinning at Harry. She said you had enough attention as it is. She's not wrong, 
mumbled Harry, and a couple of people laughed. The veiled witch, sitting alone, shifted very slightly in her seat. And did you kill a basilisk with that sword in Dumbledore's office? That's what one of the portraits on the wall told me when I was in here last year. Uh, yeah, I did, yeah, said Harry. Justin Finch Fletchley whistled. The Creevy brothers exchanged awestruck looks, and Lavender Brown said, Wow, softly. Harry was feeling slightly hot around the collar now. He was determinedly looking anywhere but at Cho. And in our first year, Neville said to the group at large, he saved that sorcerer's stone. Sorcerers, hissed Hermione. Yeah, that, uh, from you-know-who, finished Neville. Hannah Abbott's eyes were round as galleons. And that's not to mention, said Cho. Harry's eyes snapped across to her. She was looking at him, smiling. His stomach did another somersault. All the tasks that he's been through in the Trowers tournament last year. Getting past dragons and people and acromantula and things. There was a murmur of impressed agreement around the table. Harry's insides were squirming. He was trying to arrange his face so he didn't look too pleased with himself. The fact that Cho had just praised him made it much, much harder for him to say the thing that he had sworn to himself that he would tell everyone. Look, he said, and everyone fell silent at once. I... I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be modest or anything, but I had a lot of help with that stuff. And not with the dragon you didn't, said Michael Corner at once. That was a seriously cool bit of flying. Yeah, well, said Harry, feeling it would be churlish to disagree. And nobody helped you get rid of those Dementors this summer, said Susan Bones. No, said Harry. No, okay, I, I did know bits of it without help, but the point I'm trying to make is... Are you trying to weasel out of showing us any of this stuff? Said Zacharias Smith. Here's an idea, said Ron loudly, before Harry could speak. Why don't you shut your mouth? Perhaps the word weasel had affected Ron particularly strongly. In any case, he was now looking at Zacharias as though he would like nothing better than to thump him. Zacharias flushed. Well, we've all turned up to learn from him, and now he says he won't... can't really do all of it, he said. That's not what he said, snarled Fred. Would you like us to clean your ears out for you? inquired George, pulling a long and lethal-looking metal instrument from inside one of the Zonko's bags. Or any part of your body, really. We're not fussy where we stick this, said Fred. Yes, well, said Hermione hastily, moving on, the point is, are we agreed to take lessons from Harry? There was a murmur of general agreement. Zacharias folded his arms and said nothing, though perhaps this was because he was too busy keeping an eye on the instrument in Fred's hand. Right, said Hermione, looking relieved that something at last had been settled. Well, then, the next question is, how often we do it? I really don't think there's any point in meeting less than once a week. Hang on, said Angelina. We need to make sure that this doesn't clash with our Quidditch practice. No, said Cho. Nor with ours. Nor with ours, added Zacharias Smith. I'm sure that we can find a night that suits everyone, said Hermione, slightly impatiently. But 
you know, this is rather important. We're talking about learning to defeat us, learning to defend ourselves against v Voldemort's Death Eaters. Well said, barked Ernie McMillan, who Harry had been expecting to speak long before this. Personally, I think this is really important, possibly more important than anything else we'll do this year, even with our OWLs coming up. He looked around impressively, as though waiting for people to cry, surely not. When nobody spoke, he went on. I personally am at a loss to see why the Ministry has foisted such a useless teacher on us at this critical period. Obviously, they are in denial about the return of you-know-who, but to give us a teacher who is actively trying to prevent us from using defensive spells... We think Rees the reason Umbridge doesn't want us trained in defense against the Dark Arts, said Hermione, is that she's got some... some mad idea that Dumbledore could use the students in the school as a kind of private army. She thinks that he'd mobilize us against the Ministry. Nearly everybody looked stunned at this news. Everybody except Luna Lovegood, who piped up. Well, that makes sense. After all, Cornelius Fudge has got his own private army. W what said Harry, completely thrown by this unexpected piece of information. Yes, he's got an army of heliopaths, said Luna so, uh, solemnly. No, he hasn't, snapped Hermione. Yes, he has, said Luna. What are heliopaths? said Neville, looking blank. They're spirits of fire, said Luna, her protuberant eyes widening so she looked madder than ever. Great, tall, flaming creatures that gallop across the ground, burning everything in front of— They don't exist, Neville, said Hermione tartly. Oh, yes, they do, said Luna angrily. I'm sorry, but where the— What is the proof of that? snapped Hermione. There are plenty of eyewitness accounts. Just because you're so narrow-minded, you need to have everything shoved under your nose before you— Him, him, said Ginny, in such a good imitation of Professor Umbridge that several people looked around in alarm, and then laughed. Were we trying to decide how often we're going to meet and have defense lessons? Yes, said Hermione at once. Yes, we were. You're right, Ginny. Well... Uh, once a week sounds cool, said Lee Jordan. As long as... began Angelina. Yes, yes, we know about the Quidditch, said Hermione, in a tense voice. Well, the other thing is to decide where we're going to meet. This was rather more difficult. The whole group fell silent. Library? suggested Katie Bell after a few moments. I can't see Madame Pince being too chuffed with us doing jinxes in the library, said Harry. Maybe an unused classroom, said Dean. Yeah, said Ron. McGonagall might let us have hers. She did when Harry was practicing for the Triwizard. But Harry was pretty certain that McGonagall would not be so accommodating this time. For all that Hermione had said about study and homework groups being allowed, he had the distinct feeling that this one might be considered a lot more rebellious. Right. Well, we'll try to find somewhere, said Hermione. We'll send a message round to everyone when we've got a time and a place for the first meeting. She rummaged into her bag and produced parchment and quill, and then hesitated, rather as though she were stealing herself to say something. I... I think everybody should write their name down, just so that we know who was here, but I also think... She took a deep breath. That we all ought to agree not 
to shout about what we're doing. So if you sign, you're agreeing not to tell Umbridge or anybody else what we're up to. Fred reached out for the parchment and cheerfully wrote his signature, but Harry noticed at once that several people looked less than happy at the prospect of putting their names on the list. Um, said Zacharias slowly, not taking the parchment that George was trying to pass to him. Well, I'm sure Ernie will tell me when the meeting is. But Ernie was looking rather hesitant about signing it, too. Hermione raised her eyebrows at him. I, well, we are prefects, Ernie burst out. Well, if if this was found, I, I mean to say that you said yourself, if Umbridge finds out. You just said this group was the most important thing you'd do this year, Harry reminded him. Ooh, I, I, see, there we go. I don't always get the voices right. I, yes, said Ernie. Yes, I do believe that. It's just, Ernie, do you really think I would just leave that list lying around? Said Hermione testily. No, no, of course not, said Ernie, looking slightly less anxious. I'll, yes, of, of course I'll sign. Nobody raised objections after Ernie, though Harry saw Cho's friend give her a rather reproachful look before adding her own name. When the last person, Zacharias, had signed, Hermione took the parchment back and slipped it carefully into her bag. There was an odd feeling in the group now. It was as though they had just signed some kind of contract. "'Well, time's ticking on,' said Fred briskly, getting to his feet. "'George Lee and I have got items of a sensitive nature to purchase. We'll be seeing you all later.'" In twos and threes, the rest of the group took their leave, too. Cho made rather a business of fastening the catch on her bag before leaving her long, dark curtain of hair swinging forward to hide her face. But her friend stood behind her, beside her, arms folded, clicking her tongue so that Cho had little choice but to leave with her. As her friend ushered her through the door, Cho looked back and waved at Harry. "'Well, I think that went quite well,' said Hermione happily, as she, Harry, and Ron walked out of the hog's head into the bright sunlight a few moments later. Harry and Ron were clutching their bottles of butterbeer. "'That Zacharias bloke is a wart,' said Ron, who was glowering after the figure of Smith, just discernible in the distance. <laughs> "'General and Ash. <laughs> y'all are, are being very distracting right now. Look, I get it. Dumbledore. Dumbledore with those flowing locks.' He's also, he's also, he's, he's, he gives an air of wisdom and kindness. I get it. I get it. Good, good old fella, that, uh, that Dumbledore. I don't like him much either, admitted Hermione, but he overheard me talking to Ernie and Hannah at the Hufflepuff table, and he seemed really interested in coming, so what could I say? But the more people, the better, really. I mean, Michael Corner and his friends wouldn't have come if he hadn't been going out with Ginny. Ron, who had been draining the last few drops in his butterbeer bottle, gagged and sprayed butterbeer down his front. He's <coughs> what? <coughs> sputtered Ron, outraged, his ears now resembling curls of raw beef. He's going out with, oh, with my sister. My sister's going out with, what, what do you mean, Michael Corner? 
that's why he and his friends came, I think. Well, they're obviously interested in learning defense, but if Ginny hadn't told Michael what was going on... When did this... When when did she... They met at the Yule Ball and got together at the end of last year, said Hermione composedly. They turned onto the high street and she paused outside Scrivenshaft's quill shop, where there was a, dis a handsome display of pheasant feather quills in the window. Hmm. I could do with a new quill. General what, baby? <laughs> she turned into the shop. Harry and Ron followed her. Which one was Michael Corner? Ron demanded furiously. The dark one, said Hermione. I don't like him, said Ron at once. Big surprise, said Ron. Uh, said Hermione under her breath. But said Ron, following Hermione along a row of quills and copper pots. I thought Ginny fancied Harry. Hermione looked at him rather pityingly and shook her head. Ginny used to fancy Harry, but she gave up on him months ago. Not that she doesn't like you, of course, she added kindly to Harry when, uh, as she examined a long black and gold quill. Harry, whose head was so full of Cho's parting wave, did not find this subject quite as interesting as Ron, who was positively quivering with indignation, but it did bring something home to him that, until now, he had not really registered. So that's why she talks now? he asked Hermione. She never used to talk in front of me. Exactly, said Hermione. I think I'll have this one. She went up to the counter and handed over fifteen silver sickles and two nuts with Ron still breathing down her neck. Ron, she said severely as she turned and trod on his feet. This is exactly why Ginny hasn't told you that she's seeing Michael. She knew that you'd take it badly. So don't harp on about it, for heaven's sake. What do you mean? Who's taken anything badly? I'm not going to harp on about anything. Ron continued to chunter under his breath all the way down the street. There's an interesting word, chunter. C-H-U-N-T-E-R. Hermione rolled her eyes at Harry and then said in an undertone, while Ron was still muttering imprecations about Michael Corner, And talking about Michael and Ginny? What about Cho and you? What do you mean? said Harry quickly. It was as though the boiling water was rapidly riling in... Oh boy. It was as though boiling water was rising rapidly inside him. A burning sensation that was causing his face to smart in the cold. Had he been that obvious? Well, said Hermione, smiling slightly, she just couldn't keep her eyes off you, could she? Harry had never before appreciated just how beautiful the village of Hogsmeade was. And there's the end of the chapter. Accidentally took us to the blank screen for a moment. Thank you all so much for listening tonight. And you know what? Now that the uh, the cursing hour is past, I could finally say it. Today's stream on the technological side went really dang old well. Praise be. <laughs> Praise be the the, uh, the grand GM of the universe. Yeah, that that went great. 
Uh, I just want to reiterate from before my uh, my my new request, and that is that if you guys have any resources, I've gotten one already. Thank you very much. Um, uh, if you guys have any resources or um, or information or connections pursuant to trying to jump into uh, voiceover and voice acting, I would be fascinated to hear it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you want to get a deeper, uh, get a bit deeper in the whole sidecar stories, um, what do we call it? The, the, the sidecar stories, <laughs> cinematic universe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if you want to, if you want to get just closer to me, just get close, get close, touch my long, my long silver locks and, uh, noodle my, <laughs> my half moon spectacles come on in here hey how's it going have a cup of tea have a biscuit potter um if you guys want to get get uh closer <laughs> jump into the discord where general is currently saying upsetting the baby i'm sorry general luke have an awesome night bless the sausage bean <laughs> our savior sausage bean ash thank you for that um um, in Fantastic Beasts. Oh, is it Grindelwald, Ash? Yep, it was Grindelwald. Grindelwald it was Ash's crush. And is this as of as of when? I'm curious to know when that's when that popped up. Debbie, have a great night. I'll see you later. Lydia, OMG, finally made it to a live stream. I think this was a little while ago. I apologize, Lydia, but finally made it to a live stream. Just subscribed three weeks ago, and I've just finished listening to you read book four. Rereading HP for the third time. Good on you. Welcome back. Welcome back to the wonderful, the wonderful wizarding world. I'm not Adam. I'm not getting frisky. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just happy to have y'all close to me. You know what I mean. <laughs> Dumblewomble. Ash, excuse you. Adam says most of these characters were in the last piece of the chapter. Yeah, you've got. Okay, so in the Discord right now which is where I will be continuing to hang out with you guys once I have to. Um, uh, I'm looking at Adam Baker in the Discord uh, with uh, looks like a very healthy collection of, uh, what are they called? Funko Pops, I believe. Okay, and it's a little hard to tell from, because my makes it small, but as strange as that sounds. Um, uh, I definitely see an umbrage up in the top left corner. And it uh, looks like maybe Malfoy top right. And then I can definitely see a bunch of Weasleys in there. I see Harry and Hedwig. And I see Hermione on the far right, it looks like. I'm going to assume Dumbledore is just to Harry's left in the photo. And then Snape. And then a Death Eater. And then... Ooh, it's the one on the far left that's not getting me. Or that I'm not getting. I don't know. Interesting. I gotcha. Oh... I thought tonight went great. It's 8.25. It's time for me to uh, shut down the stream for the night. But remember, we continue this discussion. We continue the discussion about the chapters uh, in the Discord. So please uh, join me there. I'll be hanging out there once I shut the stream down. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Um, I'm going to put the Discord link in the chat. Let's see if I can do that with just a quick boom. I did it. It's there in chat. Um, that is to the, the Harry Potter specific channel. I've also got a channel for uh, the Gatsby discussion and I'm uh, thinking about opening up to other things as well. But you can listen live in the Discord, um, which I've heard some people are having a pretty good time with. In fact, let's see, right now we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people in there listening via Discord as we speak. 
check me out on Instagram, just uh, at Sidecar Stories, all one word. Um, I don't post super often. I'm trying to be better about that, I guess. Be, quote, better about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I want you guys to have other ways to uh, get at me. Um, just in case you, uh, you're one of those people who has been keeping up with the, the news of the channel. Lydia says, I know you've been getting a lot of requests to read Percy Jackson after Harry Potter, but you should check out the Mortal Instruments series. I just read the first one fairly recently, actually, Lydia. Um, Lydia also says, it's very well written and the characters are so funny and witty. Um, it was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it, it, uh, the world that it set up was pretty distinct. I, I got kind of a, like, blades in the dark kind of vibe from it um if anybody's familiar with that role-playing game it's one that i picked up recently um with some excellent stuff in it um but uh yeah it's been going well i do love some excellent fantasy worlds lydia uh adam says the death eater is lucius far left is draco then who am i looking at on the on the top right near the cauldron Top right. Oh, okay. It looked like I was seeing blonde hair. I'm going to guess that is going to be Voldemort then. Up on the very top right next to the cauldron, which, see, that makes sense. Having him up there near the cauldron. Moldy Voldy. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I would love to do some some additional stuff about one of my other big... Uh, the, the other big parts of my life, which is um, tabletop role-playing game stuff. So... Dungeons and Dragons, um, other role-playing games. I, I don't think it would be in stream format. It would likely be kind of videos about um, various... Uh, uh, the, the one I really want to do is called GM Chop Shop. Um, so for anybody who's interested in tabletop role-playing games like D&D or, or the, the others in that genre, um, GM Chop Shop, where I talk about different mechanics that can be pulled into your games in different ways. Um, like I said, probably not a streaming thing, uh, but I really appreciate everyone listening. I am going to sign off for the night. I hope you have a fantastic week. I will see you on Tuesday for The Great Gatsby and next Thursday for Harry Potter and a continuation of The Order of the Phoenix. Thank you all so much for watching. Have a lovely night. Come talk to me on Discord. Do it. Come talk to me on Discord. Bye-bye.